0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit Micturs.com to find out how their taste-is-everything, cost-be-damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. Good morning. You're listening to In The Drink. On heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. And we have a very special guest today. We have a winemaker from Mount Etna, the largest active volcano in Europe. Um, I always think that it's very courageous for people to live and work and make beautiful wines on, a, on an active volcano. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Frank Cornelissen here in the studio with us. Frank, welcome to In the Drink. Thank you, Joe. Now, uh, Frank's wines have been uh, popping up quite a bit on uh, on our radio show uh, recently. We had uh, George Hawk from Barchetta, um tell us how much he uh, he loved uh, your wines. Uh, Francine Stevens and Luca Pasconelli from uh, Frannies and Marcos uh, were just uh, gushing o- over your wines, and and I'm a really big fan of them as well. We have them on uh, on our wine list at Delanima and Anfora and uh lartuzzi uh we we absolutely love your wines um and the big thing that a lot of people are talking about is how your wines have been evolving and and changing i think when they they first came to uh to new york everyone got really excited about them um but they were uh different than they are now and tell us about how you you've approached this uh and and how your how your your philosophy on wine has has changed over the years well, basically the philosophy didn't
2: change at all. It's just that evolution is something and, uh, natural also with persons. Uh, I think there is a mat- uh, maturation uh, point where an, um, uh, I think a person changes and um, uh, there is experience mm-hmm. and um, uh, which you accumulate over the years, especially if you want to do artisan winemaking. Um, uh, you improve, you accumulate, and um, <laughs> whether you like it or not, you run, um, uh, your craft and, uh, and information, and you apply that to uh, make always better wines. And so, let's say, basically, in vinification, we didn't mm-hmm. do anything them, uh, different. I'm, I'm still working as I, uh, I did. Uh, the only thing your oxygen management is uh, is more precise. Mm-hmm. You understand better your vineyards, and um, uh, the time of picking, um, uh, the yields gradually actually decreased even and although they were always quite low but uh, they decreased and so today we work on more surface 18 hectares compared to half a hectare when we started in 2001 um, and we have more, uh, more possibility to, to select and deselect let's say
1: Yes, and for for those of you who don't know uh, Frank's story, I say it's courageous to to make wine on an active volcano. It's courageous to move to Mount Etna as a as a foreigner, as a non-Italian, much less uh, you know not even a Sicilian in 2001 on Mount Etna. Etna when I imagine this is not you know this wasn't a place that uh, that there were many many foreigners living.
2: No, when I arrived in uh, 2001, actually it was December 2000 and um, uh, there was uh, no foreigner in, uh, in the valley and so obviously for local people it was weird to see somebody that uh, comes from let's say the, uh, um, the evolved and, um, and uh, more and, uh, economically and, um, wealthier uh, north and coming to the south and, and, uh, and working uh, the land and uh, pruning vines like, and, uh, like they did for years. And making a wine, which was definitely a bit and a bit different—not the wine itself, but maybe and, um, the tools using uh, and uh, there were um, um, for us they and, uh, that were arriving instead of using uh, barrels like uh, the local people did. Mm-hmm. But I uh, I felt very uh, very very comfortable, and uh, people were very nice, and um, they were very um, gentle also. Always asking like you know, the classic and you know, word permesso and uh, is it possible to enter in in, uh, in your cellar and uh, because they were curious and uh, seeing like what is uh, this uh, let's say crazy between
1: brackets and um, a foreign person doing here and uh, would wine and which other producers uh did you kind of instantly click with uh share ideas with uh, befriend I think um any
2: foreigner who uh, who actually came with the idea to uh, to make wine seriously, I've always had an, um, um, a very good relationship with. And um, although my wine tex- techniques are, are very different than, for example, Andrea Franchetti from Paso Picharo, or uh, Marco De Grazia from Terrenera, and um, uh, we we have a, a great um, uh, exchange. And um, many times we I dine or run or have lunch with uh, with Marco and uh, as he's living there. And so, but although his wines are are. Let's say different, but we uh, no, we all believe in, uh, in, the, in the greatness of the terroir of uh, of Etna.
1: Yeah, I can't think of a, a place where you can have um, three such different wines from the same grape, and uh, and I and I imagine similar terroirs of three three because you're all sort of in that Paso Picharo area. Is yes. that correct?
2: That's correct. And um, uh, we have uh, different vineyards and uh, in different locations, although in, in some cases they're they're very close. Where uh, i'm neighbors in um, uh, in one section where i produce uh, magma which is called in contrada barbabecchi and uh, where um, uh, andrea also makes uh makes a one called the rampante and uh with marco in uh in Foto di mezzo we uh, we also are uh, quite uh, um, uh, quite close so it's uh, yeah it's interesting it's uh, it, it's uh, it's actually it, it's uh,
1: it's stimulating in uh, yeah. in many ways so see <laughs> <do> you- <laughs> I, it's just it just blows my mind that that you know that at the same table would be uh would be you and and Franchetti and Mark De Grazia and again the the wines Franchetti's wines being so big and powerful and extracted and sometimes with a good amount of of new oak and De Grazia's really this kind of like soft elegant very uh uh clean style also sometimes with some oak uh yeah. and then yours, no no oak and these very like alive uh also like beautiful lots of energy and um just super unique like, i mean unlike any wine i've ever had not only from etna but anywhere uh but it's it's not like you know mitch mcconnell and harry reed hanging out uh if you if i don't know if you get that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's it really isn't you guys all have the okay. same the same idea uh in in the love of the land but yes. do it in very different ways we believe in in, uh, in the greatness of um, of the territory
2: of mm. Etna, and um, uh, for example, in um, a few years ago, and um, I think about four years ago, we had a lunch with Marco, and then we pulled open uh, 2002, which was Marco's first wine, and it was my second, and um, in a period where my wines were highly, let's say, evolved, and uh, they uh, and, uh, they were from uh, from day one and uh, quite uh, quite oxidized in style and so we we opened those wines obviously and uh, quite different and um uh, compared to what Marco was doing but what we um what blew us away both Marco and me and uh, is that, and that there are there were similarities which means the greatness of territory um, um uh, etna showed more than the wine making technique in the end yeah. and that is something quite special and in in, uh, in etna and i think in, uh, we we all understand this obviously everybody mm-hmm. there own, their own philosophy and, and and way of interpreting the uh, the territory but that was an, uh, that was a fantastic experience
1: okay and the territory is is really amazing if you can talk about a little bit about what you look for when you're uh, acquiring a new vineyard um because I, I I like to mention how Edna has very old vines, uh, this volcanic soil, which for the most part, and correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't support phylloxera, so you can have ungrafted vines in certain areas. Yeah. Um, at high altitude and a lot of vintage variation. It's uh, it, everything is made there for a quality wine region. But when you're looking for a new vineyard site, what what specifically do you look for? Uh,
2: good question. I always look for uh, for great vineyards, but obviously that needs to be defined. And uh, I think the greatness of a vineyard and um, uh, is being able to express in an, uh, in a very specific way um, the wines. Um, an example, for example, it uh, is Burgundy, where there are many Grand Crus and many Premier Crus, but it's not that every single Plot of uh, of land and, um, is able to express and, um, uh, in a very character- characteristic way and, um, um, and, um, uh, the the wine. So when you when you talk about great sites, and, um, uh, it's not always easy to find them, but if you recognize them in some kind of wine that has been made in the past from uh, from this vineyard, it's uh, it's something I'm uh, I'm very keen on um, uh, on, um, uh, on on buying. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the exposure, for example, is, uh, is something very special. If the vines are very old, it's something I look for. And um, I would prefer, personally, whether uh, a vineyard is abandoned and then uh, even, uh, let's say, not pruned for two or three years, and um, because. With three or four years of um, of good work in it, you can um, you can let's say put the vineyard back into uh, to an original state. So those are obviously investments which and, um, which you would and, uh, which need a bit of passion and, and and also time to get there. But for example, the lower part of and, um, of the vineyard of uh, where we produce magma or top wine was completely abandoned, and um, it was difficult to see the vines even uh, but we uh, um, in three years of time we uh, we brought it back to uh, to its original shape,
1: and it looks great now and you're saying that's a better situation than if you were to purchase a vineyard that someone had been working but doing it in a way that you you was not in line with your philosophy I would
2: personally prefer um an abandoned vineyard yeah. yes and uh, even if it would cost me three or four years because um uh, it and, uh, there will not be an um uh, chemistry in it and um uh, yeah. obviously the vines need to be retuned and then uh, re for uh, for making great wine but i prefer to do that uh, than, for example and, and uh, buy a completely and um let's say devastated a uh, piece of land mm-hmm. and uh with, uh with chemistry and
1: do abandoned vineyards still exist on Etna or has everyone kind of picked them over they do exist. Uh, it's getting rarer yeah.
2: by um, uh, the last years, and uh, there's been a request for Etna, but and, um, let's say the the biggest request comes from bare land, which is ripped out and then replanted, and um, uh, something which hurts me a little bit, and uh, because when you have, for example, very old uh, vines, and then uh, people rip them out to to replant in a in a more modern and um, uh, economically uh, viable way with, uh, with rose. And um, it makes me sad because the old vines, they have their roots down deep. Somebody planted them, in, uh, let's say, 60 or 70 years ago. And, uh, it, and um, uh, it, it makes you feel very, and, uh, very happy also to be able to, um, to work with, and, uh, with something, with heritage from, uh, from the past.
1: And that is what I prefer to work with. With, yeah, and I mean, it seems that those wines have more of a story to tell. They've seen they've seen a lot more. Yeah. it's a good
2: way of uh, looking at it. They um, uh, the heritage means a um, uh, story, and they and, uh, they, uh, they also have and, um, in a, in a physical way their roots down deep. They and, uh, they can uh, cope with and with difficult vintages in terms of climate and uh, very dry or rainy at, and, uh, old vines. It's a bit like making an, uh, a broth, and then uh, with an old chicken, it, uh, it's got a better taste, and uh, in, uh, in a way, than than with young vines. Yeah,
1: and I, I promise you, I did not prompt uh, Frank to say the word heritage. Uh, <laughs> uh, so your philosophy is based on the idea that uh, your your vineyard philosophy, at least, is based on the idea that you can't fully understand the complexity of nature, and therefore you take a. More natural or hands-off approach to uh, to winemaking. How does that how does that actually come into play? This idea that that you can't understand every interaction between nature. It's it's basically it's a philosophical uh, approach, and
2: um, I I don't feel well, and um, uh, when. Um, when people say like ah oh, you're an, uh, you're a great winemaker and um, uh, it uh, i think you when, um, in life there is an, uh, there's and there's a need for humbleness it's impossible that man uh, understands everything and uh, the creation um, i'm raised and uh, i grew up in a, in a family and um, um, which uh, which was non-religious today it's um, i changed working the land in um, in terms that and, uh, uh God exists, and uh, until uh, the, uh, let's say the opposite is uh, is uh, is proven, uh, what or um, um, or who <laughs> and, uh, God might be, it's another I- issue. But uh, there is something bigger. You see this in um, mm-hmm. in um, in the growing process of a vine and, uh, from leaves, and um, uh, there is fruit, and uh, which is a non-material issue. There's photosynthesis. There is an exchange from environment, and um, it sounds also all uh, all a little bit strange. And I'm um, uh, talking about this, but when. When you see a vine grow, it brings you fruit, and the fruit changes into a um, wine which is uh, fermented uh, uh, without any chemistry and everything is there. It is uh, something very special and, and um, uh, which makes you uh, um, also very humble and uh, and so yes, I think there, uh, there there are so many complexities and interactions which go beyond the uh, um, uh, the, the possibility of man to understand that
1: yeah and uh it's a it's a topic that's covered a lot in uh, Dan Barber's uh, book, The Third Plate. I I keep bringing it up because I really love this book. He's a chef here, and he has a restaurant in New York City, and then one just just north of the city that's that's on a farm uh, called Blue Hill at Stone Barns. And in the book, he goes to the dehesa um, in. Uh, in western spain and he visits uh he visits a farmer who or uh, he, he visits the uh someone who makes foie gras without the force feeding um and he makes visits uh uh the jamoni berico and speaks with with farmers who explain to him that if you were to feed when you if you feed pigs acorns um without the acorns ever having fallen on the ground it's a completely different thing and there's there's some way that the acorns then change as soon as they they hit the soil and the pigs are much more attracted to them uh, at that point. And what what is it about that? And and I think that's just a really good example of how you don't – like you can't just distill one part of nature and think you understand all of it. There are so many things that are are so interconnected. They're so interconnected there. Yeah.
2: It's true. I just uh, wrote an email from somebody who was um, um, uh, asking me a question about a technicality. Um, but um, I replied the email, and I'm not avoiding the question. But sometimes uh, life is not to be reduced to, uh, to two or three chemical components, and, and uh, which can all be and, uh, completely perfectly explained. And um, uh, if you have three and, uh Three components and you, you all make them interact, you will have and, um, uh, hundreds of and, um, of results and, uh, and combinations yeah. and, uh, which are possible and that 's what 's happening in life and, um, uh, and and so there are things which i uh, let 's say I accept uh, I need to and uh, because they are part of call it the divine the you know, the creation, and then there's things that I need to follow up as man being part of the creation but i 'm not the creation and so there is an um, A very thin line where um, uh, I take my hands off, and um, uh, I'm curious, but I'm much more like uh, like somebody who watches from the the outside to what is happening, with uh, with very curious and very eager eyes, to uh, um, not to understand but to see uh, the fascinating um, uh, thing about what's happening. So that is part of uh, the winemaking. It's more accompanying than, uh, than really. Making, constructing, mm-hmm. and um, that is and, uh, that, that is my philosophy
1: and I imagine this hands off approach requires a great deal of attention a kind of attention from afar without meddling too much what What do you think that what do you physically actually need to do to make quality wine that isn 't just like letting the grapes fall into a vat you know what where does there have to there has to be some kind of interaction between between you and the grapes and the wine, at some point, like what what is the, the the least that you have to do in order to make a high quality wine? Well,
2: first of all, um, there is crop management, and um, I think it's it's and it's relatively clear that when you have an, a little fruit on a vine, you will have a higher concentration because the vine has a certain amount of energy which goes into. Two bunches or whether um, uh, that same energy goes and uh, is divided over 20 bunches of, uh, of grapes so that's mm-hmm. the first thing which doesn't necessarily mean that that vine and here comes the complexity of, uh, of nature maybe that vine needs five or six bunches and uh, because it feels better and then um, uh, to produce all its energy and to put it into five bunches where, where when you reduce it to one or two thinking like it's going to be even better the vine goes into a stress and uh, doesn't know what to do with its uh, energy. And so it's, uh, it's absolutely important. And that is something in, uh, which I think in France and, um, um, is very much uh, present in um, uh, through, um, uh, the history and uh, the generations of working on the land if you prune a vine and uh, people read vines you just don't go uh, and prune and uh, and work in a in a in an industrial let's say like a mach- in a machine way you look at the vine you look at the position and uh, and then you prune you you set the vine but you have to become a little bit vine yourself uh, that that is when uh, when you can uh, read nature the same thing when you when you st- want to plant a, um, a vineyard, you have to become nearly the land and see how much damage I can handle and um, where, at what point it can be restored to nature, where uh, your vineyard becomes integral part of uh, of your environment. So you have to be, let's say, very sensitive to uh, mm-hmm. to everything what's uh, what goes around it. But a quality wine starts with uh, with low crop. It goes on, um, uh, on with the canopy management, how you read the uh, the environment, because you know sun is a beautiful thing, but it 's also an, um, uh, an energy which damages not enough sun um, uh, there 's no maturation, too much sun and um, uh, it burns, mm-hmm. and so everything needs to be read and interpreted and, and, um, uh, and, uh, and therefore the, uh, the the manual work in a vineyard. Uh, which today, um, uh, many times, is um, uh, exchanged by um, uh, by mechanical work, is very valuable um, uh, to uh, to to get to uh, to achieve quality products. Otherwise, everything gets standardised, and then uh, you could have a good medium quality, but ex- and, um, um, exceptional quality is done by man because you have to interpret, read, and then mm-hmm. act in in proportion to what you have in front of you, what the vine is. So you have to
1: consciously live. Uh, in a uh, in in sync with nature and not dominate it and not be submissive to it but promote it and let, and let it uh, you know and it will then promote you by having a great wine.
2: Absolutely it's, uh, you have to become a part of your environment and yeah. um, um, it's like when we talk terroir and uh, many times we analyze it like and, uh, it's uh, soil, it's geology, it's climate but and, uh, many times and somebody forgets that uh, you as the, the, the interpreter of that terroir have to become an integral part of that environment mm-hmm. and if that becomes the case then you become also sensitive, and then um, you can interpret and uh, make an in a quality way uh, the, the product you uh, you want to show from that uh, piece of land.
1: Now I have to ask you this because it's a question that I get asked the most uh, because we have a wine bar called amphora. Um, and the question that people ask me, and my my answer, I'm sure, is going to be uh, as, a as a as as you know, a, a, a sommelier and, and wine director, it's going to be different from a winemaker's answer. But they ask me like, what effect does Amphora have on uh, on the wine itself? And what I tend to say is, when the winemaker is doing a good job, it doesn't. It doesn't. You don't taste any amphora. You shouldn't taste it. It just kind of amplifies some earthiness to it. But what, why do you choose to use amphora, and what 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 effect do you find it has on your wines?
2: The reason why I started in, uh, to use the, the amphoras and, um, was because it and, um, uh, it has a, a beautiful shape. It's round. It's like a womb, and so a wine when it uh, transforms and when it um uh, when it uh, when it also wants to rest and goes into its final phase of uh, forming the, um, uh, the the wine into uh, into its uh, final flavors it is a beautiful and uh, a place to sit in there uh, there are other technicalities and uh, but let's say basically the shape is what i am what i'm really fond of if that i'm for i would have let's say um, uh, given Exchange of taste, then I would never have uh, have used it mm-hmm. because I won't. Uh, no, what I search for is pureness in wine, the expression of territory, and so the amphoras are doing exactly that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, I think you you uh, have achieved this pureness and expression of territory. I absolutely find your wines to be to be thrilling and delicious and beautiful. And uh, whereas in the the first couple of vintages, there would be uh, I think a lot of variation bottle to bottle in terms of some bottles being Delicious and other bottles being less delicious. Now there's variation in the good kind, where they're they're generally all delicious, but they're just alive and they they express a little bit differently bottle by which I think is a really nice thing. And uh, it's it, they're they're pure, they're alive, they're beautiful wines, and uh, so excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Joe. Thank thank you so much. That's been that's been Frank Cornelsen on on in the drink. Oh, that's so exciting. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, this has been in the drink on heritage dot org.